have been always interested in archaeological finds that would confirm the truth of the Bible. I felt then I want to come in here to Saudi Arabia and see it for myself. I want to be able to say I have seen this place. In 1996, Vivica Pontien entered Saudi Arabia on a work permit. During the following year, she made several trips to Jabal al -Laws. It was very difficult to find the mountain. I think I had been there for seven months before I came to the mountain the first time. We went around looking for it in the desert. I did five long day trips at different, five different occasions, just looking and looking for this place. Throughout her search, Pontian encountered a strong local tradition that Moses had once lived in Arabia. It seems to be a tradition among the locals there that this mountain range is called Jebel Musa. They, they call it that, and many places um, have the name of Moses, like there are wells near there that they call Ajin Musa or Bir Musa, which means the well of Moses. When Pantian finally reached Jebel Allah's, her attention was drawn to specific features of the mountain that resembled the biblical description. Most prominent was a jagged peak, more than 8,000 feet in elevation, and blackened as if scorched by fire. And at its base, an enormous pile of boulders, at least 15 feet high and 60 feet across. The flattened top of this structure had the appearance of being man-made, and etched into its rock faces were petroglyphs of bovine creatures, cattle and bulls. The distinctive horns in some of the inscriptions resemble those found on pictures of sacred Egyptian apis bulls. Could these stones be the remains of an Israelite altar, once built at the base of a holy mountain? Conclusive investigation is not possible at this time, for Saudi law severely limits all foreign research. And they have put up archaeological signs that tells this is an archaeological area and you're not supposed to trespass here. So it's evident that the Arabs themselves consider this to be some old sites of archaeological interest. Satellite photos of the area have revealed another geographical feature that parallels the biblical account, a sprawling plain of more than 10,000 acres. Flat, surrounded by mountains, and adjacent to the dried bed of an ancient river, it could have provided an ideal place for the Israelite encampment 3,500 years ago. Just west of the mountain stands another possible link to the Exodus account, a towering rock 60 feet high. It is split from top to bottom, and evidence of water erosion is etched into its base. Many features of Jebel Allah's reflect the biblical account of Mount Sinai, and as the highest mountain in northwest Arabia, it matches ancient Jewish historical records. Based on the textual evidence, 
Jebel al-Laws is as good a guess as any. It might even be the best guess. It's definitely better than anything in the Sinai Peninsula, and probably better than any other guess we have. It'd be nice to have some excavation, and that's really a desideratum. We need excavation. We need somebody who's a competent, trained archaeologist to go in, record the material carefully, submit it for dispute and debate among other scholars, because there's too many gaps in our knowledge. The intriguing similarities between Jebel al-Laz and the biblical record may indeed stimulate new investigation here. Yet whether or not future excavations confirm this site as the actual mountain of God, a considerable body of documentary evidence indicates that Mount Sinai is located somewhere in northwestern Arabia. As a result, we have two points by which to plot the first stage of Israel's exodus. For Goshen provided a beginning, and Midian a destination and direction. And between them must lie a body of water. As for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and go through the midst of the sea on dry land. The Exodus account states while on their journey to Mount Sinai, the children of Israel encountered a seemingly insurmountable obstacle, the waters of the Red Sea. Most searches for their crossing point have centered on five sites that straddle the eastern border of Egypt, as defined in ancient times. Three of these sites are inland saltwater lakes. Manzala to the north, Timsa, and the Great Bitter Lake. Another location, the dry bed that was once Lake Bala, has also been considered. The fifth possibility is on the northern end of the Gulf of Suez, at a beach whimsically named on tourist maps as Pharaoh's Bath. 3,500 years ago, each of these bodies of water would have been relatively shallow, ranging in depths from about 3 to 50 feet. Not surprisingly, naturalistic explanations for the Israelites' crossing are common here, including a receding tide or strong wind that could have lowered water levels enough to allow for passage on foot. However, no direct evidence has ever emerged at any of these traditional sites to confirm the Exodus narrative. Nor does their geography resemble biblical descriptions of the beach where Pharaoh's army confronted Moses and his people. For Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, they are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. As Israel approached the Red Sea, Pharaoh received news that they had wandered into a dense wilderness of mountains and canyons. In contrast to the biblical account, 
the terrain near the lakes and gulf on what was then the eastern border of Egypt is predominantly flat, wide open expanses of desert. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel cried out to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? The Bible states that immediately prior to crossing the Red Sea, the children of Israel were gathered on a beach somewhere outside the borders of Egypt. In fact, the specific phrase, out of Egypt, is used in relation to their place of encampment several times in the book of Exodus, creating an obvious contradiction between the scriptures and familiar interpretations of the story. For if traveling west to east, the Hebrews were trapped on the shore at any of the traditional crossing sites, they would still have been clearly within the borders of Egypt when God parted the waters. Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made a road in the depths of the sea? Popular theories that claim the Israelites walked through a shallow lake or marsh of reeds also contradict descriptions in the biblical record. The Hebrew writers refer to the Exodus crossing point as a great deep, the mighty waters, and the depths of the sea. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh. Not even one of them remained. In the first century, the historian Josephus numbered the Egyptian army at 250,000 men. Skeptics have long questioned how every soldier and horse in an army of that magnitude would have drowned in a shallow lake they could have easily traveled around. No direct evidence of a crossing anywhere along the eastern border of ancient Egypt has ever been discovered. As a result, accounts of the Exodus are often dismissed as fiction or legend. However, this absence of evidence could again indicate that archaeologists have been looking in the wrong places. For if the biblical descriptions are accurate, then the Red Sea of Moses and the Israelites may be located somewhere other than the lakes and gulf that separate Egypt from the Sinai Peninsula. scientist so uh, I try to analyze things and I try to go to the bottom with different issues and the goal for this trip is to look at the Bible text as a book of history a book of historical events and that they describe something that really has happened and then from the text try to understand what what really could have happened 
In the spring of 2000, Dr. Leonard Muller took part in an expedition through Egypt and the Sinai Peninsula. Muller is a medical research scientist at the Karolinska Institute in Stockholm, Sweden. He is also trained in the field of marine biology. His skills in analytical research, coupled with a deep interest in biblical archaeology, had drawn him to the Middle East on many occasions. Now, as a member of an international team organized by Discovery Media Productions, he had come to the Gulf of Aqaba to renew his search for evidence of the Israelites' exodus journey. For several years, Moeller studied historical and documentary evidence, suggesting Midian as the probable location of Mount Sinai. He realized that to reach the mountain of God, the Israelites would have first crossed a body of water located east of Egypt's ancient borders. The land of Midian is always on the east coast of the Gulf of Aqaba. And the mountain was in the land of Midian. There, Moses saw the burning bush, etc. So if the mountain is on the east coast of the Gulf of Aqaba, and if the land of Midian is there, and if all these events took place there, they had to cross some water to get there. And therefore, the Gulf of Aqaba is of great interest. As the right arm of the Red Sea, the Gulf of Aqaba separates the Sinai and Arabian peninsulas. Moeller recognized several specific connections between the Gulf and biblical accounts of the Exodus. A prime example is found in the book of 1 Kings. In approximately 950 BC, King Solomon is said to have built his navy at Etzion Geber, near Elath, an ancient city on the northern